As members of Ideas Advisory Services team, Digna and Blake spent their working days helping hotel companies around the world overcome their revenue optimization challenges. And boy, what more challenges could there be than in 2020? Although they're incredibly busy consulting with clients, I managed to grab a few minutes to talk about the current state of the industry and what advice they give to their hospitality clients about planning for 2021, if that is at all possible. This episode is the start of a new segment of our Unconstrained Conversation podcast, where I talk to ideas experts around the world on a regular basis and get their views on the state of the industry, revenue management and related areas. Let me know how you enjoyed and don't forget to subscribe. Enjoy the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another uh, great episode of Unconstrained Conversations. And uh, this is a new segment for us where we interview people that actually work at Ideas. And I'm very, very excited to kick this segment off with uh, Blake and Digna, uh, who have both uh, been with Ideas for a number of years. And I'll let them introduce themselves in a moment. Um, and we're going to have a wide-ranging conversations about the state of the industry, um, what we're seeing in our data, and then uh, planning for 2021. So let's kick this off. Um, I'm going to start with Digna, say a couple of words, um, who you are and what you do, Digna. Hi, hello, everybody. Thank you, Klaus, and thank you for inviting us. It's really a good pleasure, and um, I'm very excited about this one because we have a lot of things to, to share with the, with the industry and the community. I've uh, been with Ideas now almost nine years, I want to say, a little bit more. And in the industry, more than 20 years, kind of like four different continents, six countries, 13 different cities. Been in revenue management most of my time, kind of like whether for hotels or the parking industry. Great. Thanks, Signa. Blake? Yep, thanks, Klaus. Very happy to be here. Uh, my name is Blake Madrell, and I'm a senior industry advisor at Ideas. Uh, been with the company going on seven years, uh, and in the hospitality industry, uh, a little over ten years before that. Um, so my focus is primarily helping clients, um, you know, either prepare for technology that they're getting ready to adopt, or they've uh, adopted technology and they're looking to take it to the next level. So we're often exploring where there's uh, opportunity to just drive revenue through efficiency and uh, leveling up both people's uh, skill sets and the tools that they use. So very happy to be here and share what we're learning in the industry today. We're all very happy to have you both, uh, two uh, global experts in uh, revenue management and who have their ear on the ground uh, constantly, so that's great. Let's start off with, um, I guess, a conversation about uh, what, where we are now, um, what we're seeing in performance and uh, where is the industry kind of at this moment in time as we're here in, in uh, mid-October. Mid uh, Blake, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so that, obviously it's a question everyone, I think, wants to know the answer to. They want to hear what recovery looks like, even what the the, the decline looked like, so we can uh, understand how to come back and, you know, potentially what may happen if that happens again. So I, where, where I think we've seen a lot of indicators around the recovery, um, you know, we've seen a lot of things happen over the summer, but one of them is primarily where maybe the uh, new cancellations that were coming in no longer exceeded the new bookings that were coming in. So we weren't losing occupancy day over day. Um, we saw that really occur, occur in the U.S. until June, 
Um, so July was the first month where the net new bookings started to help uh, strengthen occupancy as you got closer to arrival. And then as we kind of move through the summer, I think what we're seeing now is, you know, forecasts had to really adapt from April to that June timeframe where occupancy just kept dropping each day. And so um, as we moved into September at the end of the summer, September became the first month where we saw the forecast actually uh, as it optimized each day uh, across our client base. Um, we saw that grow uh, as you became closer to arrival. So because of that trend of, of not losing occupancy, we started growing occupancy coming closer to arrival. The forecast was shifting and it's the first time at the you know 90 days before the month ended. Uh, the the month actually ended higher than what it was predicting the 90 days before. So we're seeing that trend continue into an October, albeit occupancy levels across the board are down. You know, in the U.S., we probably expect more of a 70 to 80 percent occupancy on average, and we're seeing that more in the 40 to 50 percent range now. And there's pockets where it's much higher and lower than that. Um, but uh, generally, where it's kind of a slow return or recovery uh, that we're We'll continue to expect in Q4, so long as nothing changes that we're not expecting. Right. So that's very interesting that you have the the, the trend shift where the um, the expected the expected occupancy, the forecasted occupancy for the first time doesn't decline as we get closer to the arrival date. It actually starts now building up, which is kind of a normal trend. So we're back to the normal trend that we didn't see for the last six nine months. Yeah, and I guess so. just to. If you make that really clear, I mean, what that is saying is, is um, you know, the algorithms that are running the forecast, they expect a certain outcome, right? And so if that keeps dropping each time, that means that we're not hitting what it's expecting. Um, but if that keeps increasing each time, that means we're exceeding its expectations. So that means and so it wants to readjust based on that information. So that's good. That's a good sign of, I mean, a tepid recovery at the very least. But we're able we're, we're seeing that the. The bookings that are coming in, the net new reservations are exceeding the forecast expectations, and that's causing it to adjust into the positive, which is good news. Oh, brilliant. Thank, thank you. Uh, Digna, what, what are you seeing kind of for the industry at large? You know, what are some of the trends that you're picking up? You talk to um, companies uh, in, in multiple segments um, all the time. What are, what are you hearing? That's what's what we're seeing is kind of like the new trend is starting to develop. So we saw uh, at summer everybody kind of like was was expecting what was going on with the leisure business in a way, kind of like continued to have a little bit of movement. But we were very afraid of what was going to happen with the corporate segments overall in the U.S. And what it is, you're an airport and you're kind of like wondering if that corporate is going to come and, and park at their at their facilities, or you're a hotel and you're looking for that segment. We didn't know. So that was a big expectation, Carla, what's going to happen. And in the last two to three weeks is really when we're starting to see a little bit of more of business pick up, whether it's tickets being booked, but that's an indication that people are going to travel a little bit, not at the level that we had it, of course. And uh, at the same time, we continue to see a little more leisure business kind of like keep coming. That's the two things that we, we can hear and see all around in the U.S., which gives us an expectation of what's going to happen in the next quarter. We kind of like keep it our view very limited to the rest of the year and then potentially beginning of January when we have a mix of corporate and group people kind of like traditionally traveling and not, not traveling. Yeah, it's interesting to, to kind of see when I'm, when I'm talking to people around the world, 
it seems like we, we're seeing the emergence of hybrid meetings. Uh, we're seeing some kind of anecdotal evidence that people are wanting, uh, starting to travel again, at least domestically, right? Even for corporate travel, I hear lots of people, or, or lots of people, but there is a significant amount of people that are just saying, I'm going to start meeting in person again, um, which is uh, interesting. Um, so there seems to be a kind of a, uh, a slow trend towards uh, business travel uh, coming back, uh, although a very, very slow trend, I would say. But there's, there's more and more evidence that people are meeting face-to-face. -face. Uh, they are having these hybrid meetings, um, especially in Europe and in, in Asia-Pacific, that are starting to kick in. So it seems to be a little bit, uh, a little bit better, it's getting a little bit better. Yeah, that seems to be like the new the new norm. Like everybody's just speculating a little bit of what that new norm is going to be at the end of the day, isn't it? Because organizations are kind of like they were banning travel. That's going to probably continue for a couple of more months. But what is going to happen after since now we're getting into new habits as a person? Right. A new right. habit is virtually I'm talking to you and that's fine. That's the works. Yeah. So so what is the new habit and, and how do hotels plan for the future? What is the... Uh, what is the outlook now for for the rest of 2020, 2021? And uh, how are people budgeting and forecasting? And how do they get all that, you know, new dynamic, uh, ultra dynamic environment, market environment? How do they actually build that into their plans? Who wants to start? Digna, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that, that will continue, Carol. Kind of like the uncertainty that we see and what we're hearing of some organization they are trying to shift the model. Everybody understands, and I think we're very clear that what we used to do in the past, kind of like starting forecasting 18 months in advance of what's going to happen, is just not going to be kind of like effective. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be easy, and there's going to be no point to do that because there's so so much uncertainty, and we still don't know what the new norm is going to be. So we have heard some organizations starting to try to shift it to quarterly uh, forecasting of budgeting actually kind of like quarterly budgeting so let's focus on, on Q1 2021 and let's kind of like think about the rest later that's kind of like we're starting to see people trying to figure out okay we're going to need to be more dynamic creating different scenarios you're going to have a bit more flexibility seems to be from the leaderships of those organizations and kind of, they're looking for that and Blake can talk a little bit more about I'm sure yeah what yeah. are thoughts that we have on that yeah, I think, I mean, just coming from remembering being, you know, living through budgeting seasons. I mean, I think one thing um, that always jumps out of my head is I hate it. You hated budgeting for that Q4 in the future year that you have to budget for because you're having to do that budget while you're living through the Q4 now. So you don't get to take your Q4 and say, all right, I'm going to do at least that well plus this or I, here's where things are going to be different. You have to go back to the previous year and use that year's data as your history. And we all know that no one's going to want to look at 2019 Q4 to, you know, set your barometer for Q4 of 2021. So I think, you know, just on that same line of thought, we have to, if, if you're able now, if you have control over creating a more dynamic budget, whether that's quarterly, whether it's a rolling three or six months, uh, you adjust it three or four times a year. I mean, you need to take full advantage of that. And I think now's the time to push to make budgeting as dynamic as possible. So if, you, if you're using some type of automated RMS, you have the benefit of, of a budget that's being optimized for you every day, right? It's it's folding in competitor rates, the changes in the booking behavior we just talked about. 
um, how you're pacing to the previous year, how you're pacing to short-term trends for those same days a week. All that is calculate, recalculating a budget every day. So wouldn't it be valuable to take that engine and plug that into whatever dynamic budgeting process you create? So, I mean, I think a rolling budget is a great idea. Moving quarter to quarter is a great idea uh, for 2021. Um, but whatever, whatever your financial departments allow, I would uh, encourage you to take advantage of, of, of whatever uh, modifications or, or uh, you know, adaptive behavior that you may adopt to, to keep that budget living and breathing and just more valuable for you as you go through the year. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. We've always talked about getting rid of budgets and coming up with a better process that is more dynamic and, and more, more uh, I guess, relevant than, than these 12 months budgets yeah. that we actually budget 18 months out, right? Because we start budgeting in June, July for the next year. Um, yeah. do, do you think that's a shift, in, uh, that's a trend that will, that will stay, this, this maybe quarterly budgeting or more dynamic kind of rolling budget? And um, is that something that that you see companies thinking of, well, this is actually a better better uh, approach than our old approach? I mean, I'd like to see so because we've gotten so sophisticated in our forecasting approach. All, of, all a budget is is a forecast that's been set into stone, right? So, I mean, why shouldn't the budget uh, get that same sort of attention? And I, I, I know of uh, hotel groups, they're creating ranges for their budget. So they have a this is what we expect to do on the low end of recovery. And this is what we expect to do on the high end of recovery. And they want their budget to dynamically uh, stay within that range because they have to maintain whatever obligations to their bank or financing. But um, I, I mean, I see something like that as, as being an opportunity and it should be something that we continue to adopt moving forward, no matter what the, what, what the economy looks like. Hmm. Digna, what are you hearing? Um, I also think that the technology and the tools that we have now available are going to help probably maintain that new new approach. Because in past years, if you remember, I mean, we used to have like collecting the old information will take us weeks. I mean, how many weeks do you guys remember compiling all of the data and just trying to figure it out, kind of like adding it up by month and all of those things that we used to do? Because it was complex just to collect the information. And nowadays you're talking about there's some tools out there that you can click on a button, you have everything. You can shape it, you can modify it, you can dissect it, you can get very detailed with all of the data that you have available. So we kind of like use those tools and technology and make a process that is pretty meaningful and more relevant for the for the owners and for the leaders. I think we can definitely stick to it. But it's a combination of using the new tools and technology and a new approach. And and part of that new approach is also not just looking at revenue. It's also going down to um, uh, profitability, right? A couple episodes back, David Warman and I, we, we talked about becoming a profit hunter um, rather than a revenue hunter, which, which I quite like. And then last week, the episode we just launched actually... Um, uh, with Isaac Colazzo, who talked about getting dirty with data and uh, telling stories with data. So uh, I think these are all the same themes, right? We got we got better tools, we got more data, we have we have the opportunity to become much more flexible and much more uh, iterative in our process, rather than these these locked in plans that we used to work with. Um, and then we have we, we're able to drill down to profitability. So is that is that a trend that you're seeing as well? Absolutely. I mean, there's there's more concern about not only what kind of revenue, how much revenue you can bring to the hotel, how are you going to drive that revenue, but also how profitable is that revenue. 
So as when you're making your decisions, what we're hearing is people is getting more um, critical in terms of the kind of customer segments that are available out there just to start with. And then how am I going to get them so that they're not going to cost me that much money? Because at the end of the day, the bottom lines are what is going to be uh, of key focus for everybody in the next couple of months and probably at least 2021, 20, 22, even 23. So maintaining that high profitability, getting the business available at the right cost, not only at the right price, but at the right cost is something that people is getting very concerned. And that is, that's something that used to be more of responsibility of the financial controllers, like they will take care of the cost and they're experts on that one. But in reality, it's not coming more to the commercial level, making that decision, okay, which business do we try to get? How are we going to get it? How are we going to make sure that we're going to you know, pay a lot of commissions and fees and all of that things that is going to eat that profitability of my hotel? So we keep hearing that one more and more. Yeah, I, I hear a lot about you know margin management rather than revenue management, and and uh, obviously profit management is part of that. Blake, what are you hearing from your side? Um, very similar things. I think uh, as Digna mentioned, because uh, business is is changing, demand mix is changing. Um, there's going to be, I mean, whether you're able to maintain stronger rate integrity or not, you're going to be utilizing third-party channels more because that's where leisure business uh, is often booking. And that's right now where the demand sits. So wouldn't it be great if you, I mean, at some point as corporate business returns or group business returns, you're also going to have to compete much harder for that against your competition. So wouldn't it be great if you could safely make a decision to say, you know, I have to lower a negotiated rate 30 or $40, but this still nets more profitability than this discounted channel that I know I'm gonna take business from. I mean, that's a very, you can make that decision with confidence. It's still better business for you overall and you're not sacrificing perhaps a relationship that you you may sacrifice today because you didn't have that insight. So I think utilizing revenue managers, analysts, whoever you have, I mean, people who, who need work uh, right now, if your hotel's not busy, uh, is tracking those acquisition costs, whatever costs are associated with the reservation and, and trying to plug that information in. Because at some point, even if you don't have a system profit hunting for you, as you say, um, you're going to want to do that. Uh, and especially as you start to get those uh, those peaks starting to come back. I know there's drive markets in California, as an example, that are selling out on the weekends. Um, so they need to still manage that business on the weekends now again. and those dates may be few and far between, but you certainly don't want to miss those revenue opportunities in a time like this. So uh, tracking the the profit down to acquisition costs and things, especially that a revenue manager can influence, like where the business is coming from, where we're offering discounts and things like that. I think that is so vital now to to the role of uh, revenue management or profit hunting, if that's the new name. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I feel it's also maybe the right time and maybe some people have the time to set up their systems appropriately and, and factoring all the, the cost of channel in their systems and the cost of each yeah. of their, their rate codes so they actually know and attribute properly what the what the flow through is and what the costs are that are associated with a particular segment or particular rate, right? So, so as people maybe have a little bit more time, um, they can they can spend that time to set up their systems properly, so then they get the right information out of that. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So, so um, 
what advice would you give to um, revenue managers, corporate revenue managers, hotel revenue managers, kind of that are sitting there uh, and thinking about the next six months? I, I wouldn't go beyond the next six months, but the next six months. Um, and are, you know, clearly struggling because we don't know what the next six months will hold, but, uh, you know, we can, we can guesstimate. Um, and, uh, what, what would you, what would you tell them? Or if you would be in that position, what would you focus on? Digna, I'll start with you. I think, uh, look at all of the different data that you probably haven't looked in, in the past. Some that you thought it might not be impactful. That's key at the moment. Uh, when I look at how the, Kind of like the travelers, kind of people is starting to travel. Who is starting to travel? What's the sentiment of the people? I mean, especially in the U.S. at the moment with the with the whole elections, the kind of like the economy down. It's all of this is is causing a lot of changes on behavior, and you will be surprised to kind of like some of the articles that I'm reading. Sometimes it's like logistics. It's like yeah, because I'm interested in how how is the vaccine going to get distributed at certain point, and how complex is that one? So it's not about only having a vaccine. It's about having distributed that one and that it's basically logistics so there's a lot of good reports about logistics helps you understand how it's going to be the impact and then how is that going to translate into having more or less demand so i will definitely kind of expand a lot of the, the kind of articles and information that i'm collecting and trying to put all of the pieces together because this is kind of like a domino effect and it starts outside of our industry. That will be one. And then making sure that I'm communicating that one in very simplistic world to my leaders. Uh, like, speak up. Speak up all the things that you know and simplify what's happening, how you see it, why you're seeing it. You have the insight, share it. And show you the value that you bring to the table. Because they see you sometimes as an analyst person that's great with Excel. And that's not true. It's kind of like, I know and I understand the different trends outside in the world, how is that impacting our industry and what can we do to prepare for that one, not to be reactive, but to be proactive. Thanks for that. That's really great. Um, you know, we had some, we had a couple of really good episodes uh, in the last few weeks talking about that, right? How do you tell a story? How do you become a, a, a storyteller through data? How do you make it simple? Uh, both with David and Isaac over the last couple of weeks, check that, check out those episodes. Uh, they all have some great advice and, and insights about exactly what you mentioned, Digna. Uh, Blake, what about from your side? Yeah, so I, I, if I can build on Digna's, I think you taking that data and then also that has to translate into the guest experience, right? And how your how your you know how you can capture the most revenue from the guests or the demand that's coming into the hotel. So you know my my first thought here around it is, and Klaus, you can probably attest to this. I mean, you're asking us a question about what would happen, what should people do to prepare for the next six months or what's coming in the next six months? I mean, the three of us used to get asked that question, but it was always for five years, right? We always had to tell people what's going to happen two to three years from now, because we already know what's going to happen over the course of the next couple of years. So just by the fact that, that we're not asking that question anymore should be telling your audience that they need to be working on what's going on in the next six months. So you need to be adapting to social distancing and mask wearing and being, you know, signage and being uh, letting people connect with the human when they can, because they do so infrequently, even if at a distance. So, and, and I think there's, it's, it's a good time to, you're, you know, you're looking at data as Digna suggests and, and you're seeing you're doing well or you're not, well, where are you now in relation in your market position to the competitors? Your competitors have changed, right? Restaurants are closed. I've taken 50% of my inventory off the market because I have to keep my 
public space socially distant as well. So, I mean, people need to get out and experience their competitors again. I mean, maybe not stay in the hotel, but certainly do site tours, talk to your counterparts, understand what they're doing to go through this to, to manage the business. Um, I'm sure the market positioning has adjusted a bit because uh, your pricing certainly has, right? So you should look at the other end of, of the price value matrix, like I call it. So I think those are kind of focus on what needs to change for you to be successful through these next six months rather than what do I need to do over the next three to five years? And so focus on, on where you can make small minor changes. Some things are back to basics. I mean, I have hotels, their big focus is now just looking at how occupancy changes over three days, seven days, 10 days, 14. They've gotten much more granular and looking at that. And it's just that we're just talking about occupancy, but because you're monitoring those trends more closely, you can get in front of these these small corrections or changes that are recurring as we go through all this uncertainty. So that would be my advice is do what you can to change things for the next six months. And and it's taking that data and turning that into the the right guest experience for that for that time frame. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is kind of be flexible. Um, I like the, the comment about uh, scenario planning, right? Uh, mm. Have a worst case scenario, then have a better case scenario and a best case scenario. So you have the plan in the drawer that you can pull out and implement as soon as things shift and happen. Um, and then the other thing that I really like is kind of look beyond uh, your traditional ways of how you've managed your business in the past, right? Think about profitability, think about all revenue streams, think about more of the commercial kind of uh, taps uh, the revenue taps and commercial taps that you can turn on and off. Um, and uh, kind of that, that should get you through the next few months. And then hopefully, um, you know, we'll have more clarity and more visibility coming into the, the first, second quarter next year, um, mm -hmm. as everyone is trying just to get through the, the winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but I really appreciate your time, um, both of you, Digna and Blake. Um, I think a very fascinating conversation. Um, uh, I know you have a lot of experience and you have these ongoing conversations, so that's great. Uh, for all of our listeners, we have a listener question and answer episode coming up. So if you have a question, send it to unconstrained.ideas.com. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a uh, episode dedicated just to answering uh, listener questions. So that should be fun. Um, you can also send audio clips if you know how to do that, and we'll uh, try to incorporate them into the podcast. So with that, thanks for the uh, thanks for your time, Digna and Blake, and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you. Take care. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you found this episode valuable for your own business circumstances. Check out the show notes, link to the episode, help more people in the industry find this podcast by sharing and rating, and don't forget to subscribe to the series wherever you listen to it.